Everyone, this is OTR Rob welcoming you to another edition of Pyramidia and Molly and the Block of Pyramidia and Molly shows. That's a mouthful. Excuse me. This episode comes from 1947, 12 and and 30, <laughs> December 30th, and it's called the $10 gift certificate. Now you get cards that look like ATM cards or credit cards. And then our Miss Brooks from 1955, January 23rd. And the episode is entitled Pen Pals. And then You Bet Your Life, an, un an unedited version. Let me take that again. <laughs> this is You Bet Your Life, an unedited version from January 1st, 1950. And the secret word is spoon. This is a unedited version. Therefore, it is well over an hour long. And you get plenty of Groucho in here. You get plenty of Groucho anyway in any You Bet Your Life show. But you're getting more of them this time. So enjoy him. And enjoy these. And I'll see you all back here next week. God willing, and the creeks don't rise. Stay safe. Be careful. And do what you need to do. Enjoy. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. Not long ago, I described a floor that had been polished with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat as having a happy shine. A friend of mine questioned the phrase, saying floors are neither happy nor sad, and therefore the phrase wasn't a good one. Well, I wonder. Think of it in terms of how the lady of the house feels. There was a time when tiresome scrubbing dulled linoleum, and no one was happy about it, least of all the person who did the work. Not so with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. No, indeed. You just apply and let dry. There's no rubbing or buffing, no hard work at all. You'll be happy just looking at the bright, warm luster Johnson's glow coat will quickly and easily give your linoleum and other floors. That shining, glossy coat will protect them, make them last years longer. And you'll be happy at how easy they are to keep clean and lovely. I really believe the phrase, happy shine, is one you'll use after you use Johnson's self-polishing glow coat to bring out the beauty of your home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the home. Mrs. Molly McGee of 79 Wistful Vista has an aunt, 
who is richer than a double chocolate malted, but about as open-handed as if she were carrying a pint of loose diamonds. However, this Christmas she really loosened up to the extent of, well, listen to Fibber McGee and Molly. Ah, good old Aunt Sarah. Bless her steel-plated old heart. Imagine her doing a thing like this for us. Well, I always told you Aunt Sarah's heart was in the right place, McGee. A thing being in the right place ain't necessarily always, sometimes always too good, Tootsie. I walked into a bear trap once that was in exactly the right place to catch a bear. But as I often say, life is like a jar of peanut butter. Why? I don't know. I'm no philosopher. Well, anyway, I think it was pretty sweet of Aunt Sarah to send us each a $10 gift certificate on the Bontown Department Store. Pretty thoughtful. Yeah, I put more thought than that into scratching my elbow. <laughs> However, I'll admit old Sarah Driscoll has softened up a little. She thinks more of a buck than a game warden in April. <laughs> hey, what you gonna do with yours? I'm gonna save it till I really want something. How about you? I'm going to go down to the bond town and blow my ten bucks on the silliest, foolishest, uselessest gimmick I can find in the joint. I see. When does this shopping expedition get underway? Ah, uh, right now. I had to go out anyway. Might as well drop in on the bond town at the same time. I know. You forgot to mail the last of our Christmas cards. No, those are all took care of. I mailed the last of the cards to the people we forgot the thought of us at the last minute and sent us cards too late for us to send them Christmas cards. <laughs> for Christmas yesterday. <laughs> Would you mind running over that again with a little more punctuation? I mailed the last of the cards. Tell me later. No, forget the whole thing. Come in. Well, my gosh, if it ain't the weather, man. Hi, Foggy. Hello, Mr. Williams. Do come in. Thank you, Mrs. McGee. Hello, McGee. Uh, did I, by any chance, leave my overshoes here yesterday? No, you didn't, Foggy. I had to go over on your back porch and get them. Here they are. <laughs> oh, thank you. Our forecasts indicate bad weather coming. Oh, oh. by the way, Mr. Williams, uh, did your office send up those weather balloons with all the instruments strapped onto them? Oh, yes. Yes, every morning. Hmm. As a matter of fact, I was a pioneer in weather ballooning. <laughs> I, uh, I sent up the first balloon equipped with weather instruments and shortwave radio. Yeah? I stood on the ground and listened to the results with headphones. It was amazing. My gosh, I'll bet it was, Foggy. What'd you hear? Thirteen minutes of Ma Perkins and a few bars of Carmen Lombardo. Well, I don't want to ask a government official to betray any information, Mr. Williams, but uh, do you think we'll have an early spring? No, Mrs. McGee, I think this will be a long, hard winter. Set from instruments? That prediction is a result of my observations of nature, McGee. Oh? I have noticed that when we have a long, hard winter, the rabbit's fur is heavier, mm -hmm. the bark on the hickory tree is thicker, oh. and you wait longer for a streetcar. <laughs> but why do you think this will be a long, hard winter? My wife's brother. Every fall until now, he's come to visit us with two extra shirts and a pocket comb. This time, he brought a trunk, a portable phonograph, and the first lesson of a correspondence course. <laughs> yes, it looks like a long, hard winter. <laughs> well, good day. Probably. Oh. We had to go home and feed his groundhog. Hey, you going down to the Bonton with me? Yes, I guess I will, McGee. Yeah. Although I don't know why you have to spend your gift certificate so quickly. Well, I'm scared Aunt Sarah will reconsider and stop payment on it. And this is the first year she hasn't sent me them corny wool socks that she knits. You know, them green and orange ones that never fit. Oh, I wouldn't say never, McGee. That isn't fair to Aunt Sarah. When did any socks she ever knitted for me ever fit it? I can tell you exactly. 
Remember the green one she sent in 1939 and the orange one she sent in 1945? What that got to do with the fit? Well, the left hand one of the green pair and the right hand one of the orange pair fit you perfectly. <laughs> in 16 years, she sent me one pair that fit. One green sock and one orange. Gosh, pull up my pants and I look like a traffic signal. <laughs> well, sir, this year, by George, I'm going to buy something so doggone frivolous. To... Come in. Oh, hi, old-timer. Hello there, Mr. Old-timer. Hello there, kids. Hey, you know something? Tomorrow night's New Year's Eve. Huh? You kids gonna go out and scat around any? <laughs> <laughs> old-timer, I'll tell you how it is with us on New Year's Eve. We gave up fighting our way through a bunch of yokels with more dollars than cents to pay 40 bucks to sit at the table the size of a milk stool next to the kitchen door of a mink-lined mess hall. Where at midnight you put on paper caps and link arms with a bunch of people you wouldn't associate with in the daytime and sing, should all acquaintance be forgotten in that case, they certainly should. <laughs> and everybody yells, Happy New Year, with tears running down into their ginger ale. And by that time, you've got a headache, and your wife has lost her gloves, and the waiter brings you a check he's been carrying around for six weeks, waiting for some pigeon like you. Then you wait 30 minutes for the check room, girl, to find your coat that's hanging in plain sight, but she's angry because you only tipped her a dollar, and go outside to find that the parking lot boys have been listening to your car radio, and your battery's dead, and so is 1947, and so are you, so... We're staying home. <laughs> well... to his own taste, Johnny. I'm going to have my fun while I'm still too old to have any regrets. <laughs> I like the excitement of New Year's Eve. Crowds yelling, women crying, fenders crunching, and the happy cries of the pickpockets. <laughs> yes, sir, I'm going to swing it this year. <laughs> Good for you. Oh, by the way, Johnny, can I borrow the loan of your watch? It's for a party, New Year's Eve. His watch? Yes, it's a watch party. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to watch the old year sneak out like it was ashamed of itself, like it ought to be, and the new year creep in like it was scared to death and you can't blame it. Ah, <laughs> oh, good old 1947. The year of the three trains. What three trains? The freedom train, the friendship train, and six inches more in the gal skirts than they'd have had them. <laughs> For the new look, Mr. Oldtimer? No, oh, what's new about it, daughter? It's old stuff to me. In my time, I've seen calves appear and disappear like a herd of cattle passing a picket fence. <laughs> Personally, them new long skirts kind of embarrass me. Looks like they're losing them. Whenever I meet a woman with her skirt down to her ankles, I expect her to scream, whoop, and grab her skirt and duck her a doorway. <laughs> Pretty good, Johnny, but that ain't the way I hear it. <laughs> the way I hear it, one feller says to other feller, "Say," he said. <laughs> These new skirts are gonna make it tough for a young feller to pick a girl, ain't they? How so? Says t'other feller. Well, says the first feller. Up to now, if a boy wanted to know if his girl was not neat, he just had to look. Now he's got to listen. <laughs> Mills in the orchestra, and there'll be some changes made.
something here for your gift certificate that you've got no earthly use for. I'm sure you don't want to spend it wisely. No, I'm going to get something foolish and extravagant if it takes me all day. I'm going to go through this store like a snapshot of Gregory Peck through a girl's dormitory. <laughs> now, let me see. Howdy, folks. Is there something I can do for you? Oh, thank you very much. Are you a clerk? Yes, ma'am. Here at the store. At home, I'm a floor walker. Wife's got a new baby. <laughs> well, here's our problem, Dad. You see, I got a gift certificate for ten... Hey... Ain't you the guy that used to deliver our groceries? Yes, sir. I quit the grocery business last week. Why, if it's any of our business, which it isn't, so don't tell us if you want to be rude. <laughs> well, you see, my brother took cold and it turned into pneumonia and they took him to the hospital. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, for two weeks there, he just kind of hovered between life and uh, Saturday evening post. <laughs> then they brought him home. And you quit the grocery so you could stay home and look after him, eh? No, no, that was in Oregon, 1936. Nineteen thirty-six. My goodness, what's your brother getting sick in nineteen thirty-six got to do with your quitting the grocery store last week? Well, ma'am, the way I look at it, when a fellow wants to quit a job, one excuse is good as another. <laughs> or there something I can show you folks? No, we're just prowling around, Dad. Got a ten-dollar gift certificate to spend when I find something I don't particularly need. Well, we got eight floors full of stuff we don't need. <laughs> I'll be glad to sell you any part of it. Just call me if you... Attention, please. Calling Will. Will, where are you? Oh, Will. What on earth was that? Oh, that's our Will call department, Miss McGee. (laughs) But as I was saying, if there's anything I can do, just look me up. I'll be around. Oh, McGee, look. Huh? The new electric stove with a little wind in the oven so you can peek in and see what's cooking. Isn't that sweet? What's new about that? We got a glass window on our oven at home. Yeah, but this one has a little steel Venetian blind on the inside. (laughs) What do you suppose that's for? I don't know. I suppose that's for bashful women that want to cook a rump roast or something. <laughs> hey, let's go over here in the sporting goods section. I might, I might go for a new fly rod, you know what? A new fly rod? Yep. I don't know why you should want a fly rod. You can't even hit them with a folded newspaper. <laughs> Doesn't seem to be many clerks around here, does there? No. Or customers either. No. Not much like the week before Christmas. Boy, the pushing around I took in here then. If I could have been hailed through my feet, I could have vacuumed the whole store. (laughs) You see anything in here for ten bucks? No, I don't. Oh, yes, there's an archery set. Exactly ten dollars. No, no archery for me, kiddo. I've been scared of bows and arrows since I was 13 years old. Why? Us kids were playing William Tell and I put an apple on another kid's head. You remember a tow-headed kid in Peoria named Hardy? 
Harry Hardy? Oh, of course I do. Sure. You boys used to call him Fool Hardy. <laughs> Fool Hardy. Yeah, that's the guy. Anyway, I put an apple on his head, walked back 40 paces, turned around and strung my bow. Fool Hardy stood there like a rock. He had a lot of faith in my marksmanship. Yeah, he had a very accurate nickname, too. So what happened? I whipped my finger and held it up to test the wind. Then I notches an arrow, draws it back to the hilt, and whang! Can't believe it. <laughs> then what did you well, do? Well, hello there, folks. Hello, Molly. Hi, pal. Hey, where'd you pop up from, Omaha? Yes, we didn't see you around here a minute ago, Mr. Wilcox. No, I was behind the counter, down on the floor on my hands and knees. Hey, have you noticed the linoleum floor in here? Well, not... Not particularly, Mr. Wilcox, but it's very handsome now that you mention it. New, is it? New? This linoleum is six years old. It is? Imagine it looking as good as this after being tramped on by all those Christmas shoppers this year and other years, tracking in dust and slush and rain and dirt. I wonder how they keep it looking so bright and gleaming. <laughs> Said little Fibber, the fun-loving McGee, his bright blue eyes twinkling with mischief as he sneaked a sly look at his contract. <laughs> I'll bet every good housekeeper knows, Molly. Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. Ah. The linoleum protection that makes dust and dirt so easy to wipe up, that's so easy to apply, and so quick to dry to a mirror-like polish. Why, if Johnson's glow coat can give even a busy store such an air of quiet quality, don't you suppose don't that when you... Don't you look, look, uh, Waxy. Yes, pal? Far be it for me to get between a man's bread and a man's butter, but enough is enough. Okay, okay. <laughs> Say, uh, how'd you kids make out for Christmas? Oh, we had a wonderful Christmas, Mr. Wilcox. Yeah. Hey, what a surprise we got from Molly's Aunt Sarah. You've heard us speak of my Aunt Sarah Driscoll, Mr. Wilcox. Yeah. Is she the one that's so... You said it. That babe is so tight-fisted, her manicurist has to use a fluoroscope. <laughs> But not this year. She sent us each a $10 gift certificate on the bond town, Mr. Wilcox, and I'm saving mine. Not mine. I'm shooting the wad as of today before she escorts back and sends me some more of them corny socks. Oh, is she the one who knits those horrible wool socks, yeah. pal? That's Aunt Sarah, Mr. Wilcox, the very one. You've seen them things, Junior. Oh, yeah. In the first place, they don't fit, and in the second place, the colors are awful. They do look a bit like a prairie fire as seen through the bottom of an iodine bottle. <laughs> so I'm going to blow my 10 buck certificate before the old moose changes her mind. Got any ideas of what I can get for a sawbuck, Omaha? Well, I'd suggest you go into the annex, pal. That's hmm? three aisles over and to the left. I saw a sign in there that said, This department closing out. Buy now. Dirt cheap. Oh, oh. wonderful. What are they selling? Dirt. <laughs> well, happy new year, folks. See you around. Same you. Just a minute, McGee. You were telling me about when you were 13 and put an apple on little fool Hardy's head and took your bow and arrow. Attention, please. Will the head shipping clerk please report to the loading platform? Three of our drivers are loaded. Thank you. Well, this ain't getting my 10 bucks or gift certificate spent. Let's go over into the hardware department and I'll see if I can see anything you like, Mr. McGee. We got some awful fine tools here. Huh? Now, here's a socket wrench in case any of your sockets get loose. No, thanks. Is this your department, too, bud? I thought you were up in front of the store. Well, kind of short on help today, seems like. Mm, short on customers, too. Say, uh, I got something over in the sporting goods that might interest you, Mr. McGee. Got a good price on it, too. Okay, what is it? I might take it off your hands. Mr. Well, it's one of them collapsible 16-man rubber life rafts, you know. <gasps> uh, just a thing for duck hunting with a lot No, of no, no, huh? thank you. We have one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got one, bud. Oh. Picked it up at the surplus store. Although it would be handy to have a spare one no, in case no, we No, 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 McGee. We'll just look around some more, sir. We'll call you if we find anything we want. Well, I'm always glad to help. Uh, oh, howdy, Dr. Gamble. Nothing I can do for you? No, thanks, Carl. I'm just cutting through to the office. Oh, hello, Doctor. Well, hiya, Molly. Where's... Uh... 
Oh, there you are, Beetle Puss. <laughs> Haven't seen you since Christmas. Yes, it's been a wonderful week for us, too, Baggy. <laughs> Let's have more weeks like it this coming year, shall we? Oh, McGee, don't talk to the doctor like that. Well... Did you have a nice Christmas, Doctor? Wonderful, Molly. And before I forget it, and I'd like to forget it as soon as possible, I want to thank little Droop Snoot here for his lovely Christmas necktie. Thanks for the Christmas necktie, Droop Snoot. <laughs> That's okay, bait bucket. <laughs> it was a necktie, wasn't it? That's how they diagnosed it at the men's counter here. Well, certainly it's a necktie, you big bag of duffel. What'd you think it was? We had quite an interesting discussion about that, my boy. My housekeeper, who spent some time in the Orient, thought it was the sash off an East Mongolian witch doctor's ceremonial robes. <laughs> but I thought it looked more like the belly band off a Brazilian llama buster's Sunday saddle. <laughs> well, I'm surprised you didn't know what it was right away, Doctor. You sent McGee one just like it last Christmas. Just like it. He sent me the same one last Christmas. <laughs> And he knows it, too. Oh, no, you didn't send the same necktie back to him, did Certainly. you? Certainly. He's not going to leave me stuck with a monstrosity like that. <laughs> well, you can't say I didn't try, my boy. And you can't say I won't try again next year, too. <laughs> so what brings you down here today, Molly? You're not still Christmas shopping, are you? Well, I guess you might call it that, Doctor. Aunt Sarah sent McGee a gift certificate this year, and he's down here trying to spend it. I'm looking for something I've always wanted and couldn't afford, Doc. Something unnecessary. Just some silly, useless, expensive luxury. Oh, well, you'll find it all right. Molly's had a thing like that for years. She has? I have. What? You. <laughs> Happy New Year, kids. <laughs> And what are you doing New Year's Eve? When the bells ring out And the horns all blow And the couples we know Are fondly kissing Will I be with you? Will you be with me? Or will I be among the missing? Much too late for me to say, but I thought I'd ask you anyway. What are you doing, New Year's, New Year's Eve? Wonder whose arms will hold you good and tight when it's twelve o'clock tomorrow night. Welcoming in the New Year, New Year's Eve. Maybe I'm crazy to suppose I'd ever be the one you chose. Out of the thousand invitations you receive, just in case I stand a little chance, here comes a question slightly in advance. What are you doing, New Year's? What are you doing, New Year's Eve? Maybe I'm crazy to suppose I'd ever be the one you chose. Out of the thousand invitations you receive But I want to be there with you To ring out the old and ring in the new The happiest new year I could ever believe To be with you
Besides, for a great big department store like this, Molly, they haven't got anything that I really want for my gift certificate. Well, don't get it discouraged, dearie. No. We still have two more floors left to look on. Yeah. This is only the sixth floor, you know. Yeah. Doggone it, that plastic riveter's helmet with the extra sections that bolt on to cover knots on your head would have been swell if it had just been my Oh, size. Mickey, look who's here. Mr. Wimple. Huh? Oh, hi, Wimp. Hello, folks. <laughs> Are you exchanging something, too? No, just shopping around, Mr. Wimple. You down here to exchange some presents? No, but Sweetie Face is. Sweetie Face, that's my big old wife. <laughs> she came down to exchange a whole lot of little bitty gifts that she can't use for one big gift that she can use. That's a woman for you. Exchanging all her presents, is she? No, she's exchanging all my presents, Mr. McGee. Oh. She told me to wait here and not dare leave till she got back, and then she went upstairs to the exchange desk. Waiting for people gets awfully tiresome, doesn't it? Oh, it certainly does. And I'm getting pretty annoyed with her, too, believe me. If she doesn't show up in exactly five minutes, I'm going home without her. I'll show her. That's the stuff, Wimp. Good for you. How long have you been waiting? Since Friday morning. <laughs> Well, then, I think giving her another five minutes is completely fair, Mr. Wimple. Yeah, you can afford to be generous, Wimp. Remember, women are the weaker sex. How was that again, Mr. Wimple? He just said that women are the weaker sex, Mr. Wimple. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> One thing I like about Mr. McGee, he's always joking. <laughs> Taking your Christmas tree down yet, Wimp? No, we always burn ours in the fireplace on New Year's Eve, Mr. McGee. Oh. I cut the tree up into short pieces and build a fire, and at 12 o'clock they light it, and all of Sweetie Face's relatives sit around the fire and drink a toast to the new year and have a gay time. Her relatives do? Where are you all this time, Wimp? Oh, I peek down at them through the banisters in my Dr. Denton pajamas. <laughs> you mean they don't even let you join in the festivities? No. Why, George, that's an outrage. Oh, no. No, it isn't, Mr. McGee. I have more fun than any of them. <laughs> in nine years, they've never discovered who loosens the corks in the champagne two days before, and who clogs up the chimney so everybody gets to coughing, and who puts all the forty-five caliber cartridges into the fireplace under the logs. <laughs> My gosh, Wimp, you're liable to knock off the whole mob some night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a happy new year that will be. <laughs> well, goodbye, folks. So goodbye. Long. Well, hey, Molly, look. Oh, boy, are these beautiful. And get a load of the price. Five pairs for $10. But, sweetheart, those are wool socks. I thought you were tired. I haven't got any socks like these, baby. Look at those plaids. Look at that weave. You found something you like, Mr. McGee? Finally? Well, <laughs> he seems to like these socks, although just one. Yeah, yeah, give me five pair of these, Dad. And here's my gift certificate. Well, I must say you made a wise purchase, Mr. McGee. Ordinarily, we sell them socks at $4 a pair. Yeah, what'd I tell you, Molly? Do I know a bargain or am I a chump? Yes. <laughs> you know, these aren't regular machine-knit socks, Mr. McGee. These are special-knit by hand, exclusive for the Bonton. Somebody in Scotland, I suppose. No, no, it's an old lady in Peoria. <laughs> Driscoll, her name is. Sarah Driscoll. Oh. Yep, they say she don't have to do it for a living, either. Oh. Say she's rolled in money. Why, you know, one of our salesmen... Well, imagine that. They walked right off without even taking her sales slip. A year and a day from now, we'll be greeting another new year. 
On that day, your home can be more beautiful than it is tonight if during the year you have polished your floors, furniture, and woodwork with genuine Johnson's Wax. Regular use of Johnson's Wax brings out the beauty of your home. It's true that Johnson's Wax adds richness and warmth as well as gloss to fine things. The next 367 days will work less hardship on your floors and furniture because if they're waxed, they're protected. Then, too, housework is easier because dust and dirt vanish from waxed surfaces with a quick wipe or a light dusting. And speaking of making things easier, attention all snow shovelers. Snow and slush won't stick to your shovel blade if it's waxed with Johnson's Wax. Your shovel will stay light and clean without pounding or scraping. Yes, you can even make snow shoveling easier with genuine Johnson's Wax. Molly, you didn't say a word all the way home. You tired? No. Feel ill? No. I feel fine. You ain't mad because I bought them socks? No. Oh, my gosh, what is the matter? Well, something bothers me. Huh? Whatever happened to little fool Hardy back there in Peoria with the apple on his head? <laughs> when you drew back the bowstring and boing! <laughs> the string busted, then the bell rang, and recess was over. Oh. <laughs> is that all? Yes. Okay. Good night. Happy New Year to all of you from everybody in Racine and Wistful Vista. Good night, all. Now it's our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. In the years she has been teaching English at Madison High School, our Miss Brooks has helped to initiate many projects there, and the results have been amazingly consistent. Yes, almost every one of them has been a flop. However, a few months ago, I had given our principal the idea of introducing a pen pal project. In other words, those students and teachers at Madison who wanted to do so could pick the names of some students or teachers in a foreign country and correspond with them. Well, two months of all this goodwill certainly had its effect, especially on Mr. Boynton. Last Thursday morning at breakfast, I must have shown my concern, because my landlady's first remark was... It's hopeless to try to hide your feelings from me, Connie. Now, what's troubling you this morning? It's Mr. Boynton, Miss Davis. Is Daisy Enright chasing him again? Constantly. Every time I look behind me, there she is. But this has nothing to do with her, Mrs. Davis. It's my new rival who's worrying me. Your new rival? Who's she, Connie? Her name's Yvette Jouvet, and she lives in Paris. What? Who's Yvette Jouvet? I am. <laughs> Just sit right there, dear, and I'll get you a damp cloth for your forehead. No, I'm serious, Mrs. Davis. A few months ago, some of the students and teachers began corresponding with some foreign students and teachers. But what's that got to do with you and Yvette Jouvet? Well, I thought this would be an ideal time to see whether Mr. Boynton really cares about me or not. So I put the fictitious name of Yvette Jouvet on the list of names we got from the U.N., knowing that he'd correspond with her. But how could you be so sure? After her name, I added French high school biologist. And to make doubly sure, I tacked on frogs a specialty. <laughs> so we've been corresponding ever since. But I still don't see how you got his letters and he got yours. Well, the letters were all written from and sent to school. So I bought some canceled French stamps in a hobby shop. And since Walter Denton was working in the mailroom, it was no trick at all for him to intercept Mr. Boynton's letters for me. Well, I never. 
And how has your rivalry with Yvette worked out? I can answer that in three words. Vive la France. <laughs> what do you mean, dear? In my very first letter, I sent him a picture of a French movie star, which I clipped from a magazine, and I told him this was Yvette. He showed his affection almost immediately. He sent you a picture right back. That's right, of his pet frog, MacDougall. <laughs> Since then, his letters have become more amorous, and I've become more furious. But there's still no reason for you to be so upset, Connie. Oh, yes, there is, Mrs. Davis. I was so angry after his last letter, I wrote him that Yvette was coming to America. What? She's due to arrive today. Well, don't be too upset, Connie. Maybe something will happen. Maybe she'll be quarantined. Or she won't get through customs, or... Oh, oh, I forgot. You're Yvette. Yes, and I'm anxious to have a showdown with myself once and for all. If Mr. Boynton doesn't come clean about Yvette of his own free will, it's all over between us. No, I wouldn't. Oh, that must be Walter Denton. Be out in a minute, Walter. I'd better get ready, Mrs. Davis. All right, dear. But please think it over carefully before you do anything drastic about Mr. Boynton. I've made up my mind. He's got to choose between Yvette and Connie. But what if he chooses Yvette? Then he'll have no one. And if he chooses Connie? I'll go back to France and forget him. Come on, Walter, out with it. There's something troubling you this morning. What is it? It's Harriet, Miss Brooks. After all these years, she's in love with somebody else. Really? Who? His name's Giuseppe Umberto Mozzarella. <laughs> He's an Italian. I never would have guessed. You still haven't answered my question. Just who is Giuseppe? I am. Walter, what are you talking about? Well, I got the idea from you, Miss Brooks. I decided to test her love for me, and I included the fictitious name of Giuseppe Mozzarella of Rome in the list of students to correspond with. <laughs> I knew she'd write to him. How could you be sure? After his name, I wrote, Handsome Latin Lover. <laughs> You've probably been corresponding with every other girl in school, too. How has your rivalry with Giuseppe worked out? I can answer that in two words, Miss Brooks. Viva Italia! So you've been Harriet's pen pal, hmm? Pal is hardly the word for it We've been singeing off each other's eyebrows through the mail Well, there's nothing to be so depressed about After all, your rival is still safely tucked away in Italy Yeah, well, that's just it, Miss Brooks I got so furious at her last letter I decided on a showdown I wrote her that Giuseppe's coming to this country to visit her What? Yeah, I'm arriving in the next few days. <laughs> she should have gotten my letter yesterday afternoon. This school is certainly going to be loaded with out-of-towners. <laughs> I'm arriving today, too. That is, Yvette Jouvet is. Say, wait a minute. I just thought of something extremely depressing. What is it? Suppose Mr. Conklin intercepts your letter about Giuseppe's arrival. He knows I'm behind the pen pal plan, and if he sees the letter, it can only mean one thing. What's that? Mr. Mozzarella may be coming from Rome and Miss Jouvet from Paris, but Miss Brooks is on her way to Siberia.
I've been thinking, Miss Brooks. You're right about Mr. Conklin. If he saw that letter this morning and you had to face him, you would be in trouble. Of course I would. Later on, he might not be quite so mad. Now, just a few steps more and we'll be past his office. Walter, take your head out from under your coat. We don't have to sneak along like thieves. Mr. Conklin, watch out! Oh, yeah! Oh, 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 I'm sorry, sir. I was only trying not to disturb you in case Quiet, Denton. I have a word of warning for you, young man. Warning, sir? National Peanut Week is coming up. And if I were you, I'd put a sign on my head. <laughs> what kind of a sign? A sign saying, this is a head. <laughs> Yes, sir. Goodbye, Miss Brooks. Oh, I'll run along, too, I think, Walter. It's late. Just a moment, Miss Brooks. It so happens I wanted to see you. It's about a certain letter. A certain letter, Mr. Conklin? <laughs> yes, tiny Tim. <laughs> a letter. It came from one Giuseppe Mozzarella of Rome, Italy, and was sent to my daughter, Harriet. I steamed it open by mistake. I opened it by mistake Well, yes, sir, but how does that concern me? Because, Miss Brooks, this pen pal project was your feeble brain child I foresaw trouble in this idea from the beginning And now the calamity has come to pass Calamity? Surely it's not that serious, Mr. Conklin It isn't, eh? Suppose you listen to the last part of the letter from this teenage Roman Casanova to my daughter. <clears throat> I'm a thinker to myself. Do I love her? Must you? Do I need her? Must you? Do I want her? Must you? So I take my savings to come to America to visit. See you in a week on my little lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> Always, you Giuseppe. Well, Miss Brooks, isn't that revolting? My shoe. <laughs> but now, Miss Brooks, I have an important statement to make to you. Yes, sir. Because of this international juvenile catastrophe, I am discontinuing your pet project. But, Mr. Conklin, Furthermore, I... it will be your job to play chaperone to this amorous antipasto when he does arrive. <laughs> Just so you keep all future ideas of this type entirely to yourself, I have a little project of my own for you to embark on. It starts at my house tonight and continues through the next three weeks. Tonight? Oh, but, sir, I, I can't Miss possibly... Brooks, I... I've made my decision. <laughs> First, you have nothing more to say? Just one thing, sir. What's that? Mrs. Davis was right. Yvette will never get through customs. At lunch, as I approached our usual table in the cafeteria, I was only sure of one thing, that regardless of what happened, Mr. Boynton would take everything in his usual serene fashion. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Boynton. Ah! Oh! Miss Brooks! What an enthusiastic greeting. <laughs> you make me feel like the Witch of Endor. <laughs> it's just that you startled me for a minute. Oh? Would you care to tell me what you're so upset about? Upset? 
Oh, I'm not upset, Miss Brooks. No, not in the least. Uh, have you decided what you want for lunch yet? And not yet. Let's see. I think I'll start off with some onion soup. French onion soup. <laughs> you dropped your knife, Mr. Boynton. Then I'll have some potatoes. French fried. <laughs> you dropped your fork, Mr. Boynton. I guess I am a bit jumpy today. Well, maybe you'll feel more like telling me what's bothering you tonight. We have a date to go to the movies, remember? I'm dying to see the new picture at the Gaiety. Well, what's playing there? The last time I saw Paris. <laughs> Darn these slippery plates. <laughs> Look, Mr. Boynton, why don't you calm down? Oh, but I am. I'm perfectly calm. Pardon me, Mr. Boynton. No! Sorry, Harriet. Something came up today that made me a bit jumpy. A bit jumpy? His frog, McDougal, could take lessons. <laughs> well, if you don't mind, Mr. Boynton, I'd like to see Miss Brooks alone for a minute. Oh, certainly, Harriet. I'll go up and get some coffee. I'll see you in a little while, Miss Brooks. There are two schools of thought on that. <laughs> now, what is it you wanted to see me about, Harriet? Well, I think that Daddy's attitude since I got that letter from Giuseppe is disgraceful. Well, your father certainly is furious with me, Harriet. Not only do I have to work at his house every night for the next three weeks, but he's discontinuing pen pals as well. He certainly soured on that little project. Oh, he only acts that way because you suggested the idea, Miss Brooks. Why, for the last month, he's been secretly corresponding with a Viennese principal he got off the list. Uh, uh, Fräulein Gretchen Schneider. Fräulein Gretchen Schneider? Does anyone else know about this, Harriet? Oh, not a soul, Miss Brooks. He writes the letters at home, but he gives the school as his return address. How do you know all this? I uh, accidentally steamed open one in the mail room. <laughs> Harriet, you dear child. I think you've pointed a way out of the wilderness for me. What do you mean? What are you going to do? Achtung, Mädchen, we will see what we will see. <laughs> I hope this works. I haven't heard any German spoken since my last Eric von Stroheim picture. <laughs> Also, this is the home of Herr Conklin? Yeah, this is the home of Herr... <laughs> I mean, Mr. Conklin speaking. Herr Conklin, Liebchen, here is your little Fräulein Schneider from Vienna. Oh, you must have the wrong number. I've never been abroad in my life. I simply don't know any. Fräulein Schneider from Vienna! <laughs> around the corner. In second, I'm in the drugstore. <laughs> My train just got in from New York. What? What What are you doing in the drugstore? Talking to you, my little pizza pie. <laughs> <laughs> mein pumpernickel. <laughs> but, uh, 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 should I come over right now? No, 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 no! 
No, 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 don't do that. No, of course not. No, uh, Fraulein Schneider, this is most embarrassing. I, I saw no reason to mention it in my letters, but uh, I'm, I'm married. Oh, that's all right. I wait till the divorce is final. Divorce? <laughs> but I'm happily married. My wife doesn't know anything about you. Well, then we tell her. <laughs> she must be a very understanding Frau. You don't know this, Frau. <laughs> how, how did you locate me? Well, when I arrived today, I go to the schoolhouse where I was writing you the letters. And a Miss Brooks told me where you were. She would. <laughs> but uh, you, you must come over here. Under no circumstances come here. I... I'll come to where you are right after dinner tonight. Have you got some place you can stay till then? Oh, yeah. Miss Brooks said I could stay at her house a bit old. What a woman that Miss Brooks is. I wish I had her in my school in Vienna. I wish you did, too. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll see you later at her house. Wunderbar. When will you be at the house? Oh, well, I'll be there as close to eight as I can. I'll tell you all about my wife at that time. Good. <laughs> then at ten after eight, we call a lawyer. I'll be the same, Kupchen. Well, I felt that I had found the three ingredients that might save my pen pal project at Madison. Ingredient one... Mr. Conklin had been corresponding secretly, but innocently, with a female Viennese school principal. Two, said Viennese principal, had misinterpreted the letters and had come to America to find Mr. Conklin. And three, I was the Viennese principal. And four, if my idea didn't work, I could probably get a job dishing out schnitzel a la Holstein in some Hofbrau. <laughs> that evening at home, Mrs. Davis and I were waiting for Mr. Conklin. Well, Mr. Conklin ought to be here any time now, Mrs. Davis. I certainly hope your plan works, Connie. It's got to. It's the only thing that will save my pen pal project and keep me from doing night work for the next three weeks. But what about Mr. Boynton? That kind of night work I don't mind. <laughs> oh, you mean what have I done about him? Well, I'm glad you mentioned it, Mrs. Davis. I'd better call him and tell him Mademoiselle Jouvet has arrived. I guess you know what you're doing, Connie, but I wish I did. Hello? Is Philip Boynton there? Well, this is Philip. Uh, this is Philip Boynton. <laughs> Philip, mon cher Philip, this is votre petit Yvette, Yvette Jouvet. Are you surprised that I have come? Surprised is hardly the word. Uh, where are you now? At the railroad station. Uh, shall I call for you, Miss Jouvet? Oh, no, no, Philippe. It would take too long. I take the taxi and come right over to your house. Oh, but, but Miss Jouvet... I will see you too sweet. Au revoir, mon amour. Now, Mrs. Davis, if you really want to help me, you'll do exactly as I say. Of course, Connie. Uh-oh, here it comes. First of all, I want you to go right into your sitting room and stay there. All right, Connie. But what about the door? I'll take care of that. Did you hear, Miss Brooks? Did you get here? Did oh, you... come in, Mr. Conklin. Uh, We've been expecting you. Uh, where is she? Where, 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 where? Where, 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 where? 
Fräulein Schneider's in the other room talking to Mrs. Davis. Now, try to calm yourself, Mr. Conklin. I've never seen you this nervous. You'd be nervous, too, if your marriage was at stake. What marriage is that? You know what I mean. If my wife ever finds out about this Fräulein Schneider, I'm ruined. Mr. Conklin, maybe I can help you out of this mess. Oh, would you, Miss Brooks? Would you talk to her? <laughs> Tell her my situation. Convince her that she should go home to Vienna. If you'll do this for me, Miss Brooks, I'll do anything you ask. Anything at all. Name it. It's yours. Will you see to it that the pen pal project continues? Why, I wouldn't dream of discontinuing it. And I'll never have to work at your house at night again. Not even if I have to do it, heaven forbid, myself. <laughs> now, you will talk to her, won't you? I've been talking to her, Mr. Conklin. I know what your home life means to you, and I've practically convinced her to leave already. I'll go back and put the finishing touches on it right now. You don't even have to see her if you don't want to. Oh, that would be wonderful, Miss Brooks. I don't know how to thank you. Well, we'll think of something. Now, you wait right here, and I'll be back in a few minutes. Well, here I am back again, Fräulein Schneider. Fräulein Schneider. I'm Mrs. Davis, remember? This is for Mr. Conklin's benefit. We're trying to convince her to go back to Vienna. Was that mein lieber Askut at the door, Miss Brooks? Ach, I must see him. I used must. Himmel, what a letter writer. Now, now, Fräulein Schneider, remember what we talked about. You wouldn't want to break up a family, would you? Why not? It ain't my family. <laughs> ah, well, I guess you're right. I would never forgive myself, huh? Oh, of course you wouldn't. And I know if you took one look at Mr. Conklin, you'd fall madly in love with him. No woman can resist that mustache. Ah, <laughs> uh, but I must see Osgood. Use once. No, Fräulein Schneider. Ja, no. Ja, no. Ja. You know, Connie, with a dummy on your knee, you'd be a sensation. It's for your own good not to see him, Fräulein Schneider. Then that's what I'll did. I wouldn't see him. Also, Miss Brooks, you tell him I will write when I get back to Vienna. And Miss Brooks? Yes, Fräulein Schneider? Tell him ich liebe him loads. I'll give him your message at once. <laughs> well, it's all settled, sir. Fräulein Schneider said that uh, you... Never mind, Miss Brooks. I overheard everything. Osgood Conklin will never forget what you've done for him today. I hope Osgood Conklin doesn't. Oh, uh, and Miss Brooks? Yes, sir? I had no idea you felt that way about my mustache. <laughs> on my way home now, back to the snug harbor of connubial felicity and my little... Now, who's that? Mr. Boynton, what are you doing here? Miss Brooks, I had to see you. Something's been bothering me terribly. I have a confession to make to you. Well, come in, Boynton, come in. Go out, Mr. Boynton, go out. <laughs> Do come in. Hello, Mr. Conklin. Forgive my aggressiveness, but this is something that won't wait, Miss Brooks. I, I must tell you at once. Oh, later, Mr. Boynton, later. Much, much later. Well, what's bothering you, Boynton? Out with it. Uh, well, Miss Brooks, I would wait to tell you alone, but this girl is probably at my house now, and there's no time. What girl? My pen pal, Yvette Jouvet, arrived from Paris this afternoon. From Paris? Well, immigration is certainly booming today. <laughs> Great light 
is beginning to dawn. Where I'm standing, things were never blacker. Just how did Yvette Jouvet arrive, Mr. Boynton? Well, by train from New York. She phoned me from the station ten minutes ago. Mm. Hmm. And Fräulein Schneider arrived by train from New York a couple of hours ago. The only trains that stop here from New York arrive at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Maybe one was early and one was late. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, of course, I see it all now. There is no Yvette Jouvet. And there is no Fräulein Schneider. You know what this means. Yes, sir. There is now no Miss Brooks. Well, since we all... Excuse me. Hello? Yeah, hello, Miss Brooks. This is Walter. I finally got it off my chest. I didn't think it was fair to Harriet, so I told her I was Giuseppe Mozzarella. Well, it didn't happen quite that way with me, but my impersonations of Fräulein Schneider and Yvette Jouvet were exposed too, Walter. And you know something? What? going to take all three of us to do the work Mr. Conklin's about to give me. Au revoir, au wiedersehen, and arrivederci. And now, here's the star of our show, Eve Arden. Wouldn't it be something if Mr. Boynton really did start corresponding with a French mamzelle? What do I care? I'm not afraid. I'll match my complexion with hers any time. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, Frank Grubb, is produced and directed by Larry Burns, written by Arthur Oldsburg and Al Lewis, with the music of Lud Bluskin. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. teacher, Miss Brooks, will again call the student body together. Don't you be absent. Our Miss Brooks is presented each week through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. I anticipated. <laughs> More people scurrying in and out. How many people use glass wax? Oh, that's another. <laughs> Bannerman, show them your teeth. You're on for Colgate, aren't you? You still working for those people? Uh, walk along. Have you ever heard the commercial on that singing commercial? Brush your teeth with Colgate's. Oh, Colgate's dental cream, it cleans your teeth. What are you doing, mate? What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) 
scare the fangs right out of your mouth. I usually keep mine in my pocket until the commercial is over. The height of Groucho's microphone, all right? Did he tell you to keep your trap shut when the... <laughs> oh, just, just the coat there, old girl. I don't go any further. <laughs> There's some distractions, you know, that are just too much for me. <laughs> Did you ever get so much instruction from any show? <laughs> it's letting get, getting brief or going over the top. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is spoon. S-P-O-O-N. Really? You bet your life! The DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Groucho, sorry, my name's Yasmin Khan. <laughs> Thank you. Well, here I am again with $1,000 for one of our couples tonight. George Fenneman, who gets first whack at it? Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a bouncer from a dance hall and an accountant. And here they are, Mr. Alan Landman and bouncer Bill Graves. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, gentlemen. You bet your life. And if one of you says the DeSoto Plymouth secret word, he wins $100 instantly. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. I don't know about your house. You'll find it around <laughs> mine. A bouncer and a bookkeeper, eh? That's quite a combination. Mr. Bill... Uh... Graves. Bill Graves, huh? You're a bouncer at a da dance hall? Yes, sir. Prove it. Let me see you bounce around. Doing it. Where, where are you from, Bill? I'm from uh, within the stone soul of the Churchill Downs in Lexington, Kentucky. And you, what do you do? You throw stones around there? Oh, yes, sir. Right and a lot, the, of hot air. a lot of hot air. Right near the racetrack. Right near the racetrack. You must have seen Man of War down there. I did. I have seen Man of War, and I've uh, bet some money on him. Well, you must be loaded, then. I'm loaded to the gills. Let me see your gills. <laughs> why, why, why did you leave uh, Louisville? Uh, did you get bounced? Or? I uh, wanted to come out to California. I had heard so much about it as a child. I thought it was the greatest place in the world, and I came out here, and I've never changed my mind. That's 49 years ago. Well, I'm sorry you haven't... Glad you haven't been disillusioned, huh? <laughs> Bookkeeper, uh, 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 Alan uh, Landman? Yes, sir. I'll just call you Bookie, yeah? No. <laughs> you're, not, you're not a bookie, huh? But I better call you Bookkeeper, is that right? No, that's not right either. I'm an accountant. Very hard to please, aren't you? <laughs> I'll call you Count, is that all right? <laughs> or Int. I was Int, huh? <laughs> Tell me, Count, uh, what do you do as an accountant? Oh, I make income tax returns out for people. Give them general advice on their financial statements and audit their books. Keep books, and I'll just call you bookie, huh? <laughs> and if you get raided, don't come running to me. Huh? <laughs> where, where are you from, bookie? I was born within a stone's throw of the Fulton Fish Market in New York. <laughs> 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 
Your parents were big rocks, I take it, huh? <laughs> you were born near the uh, fish market, huh? That's right. And did you, how long did you flounder around there before you... <laughs> And Al Smith was born around there, wasn't he? Oh, that's right. Including the Derby. Yeah, well, I don't know where the Derby was born. <laughs> the Derby was born in Lexington, wasn't it? That's another Derby. What's the most common bookkeeping error you find in your work, uh, Mr. Landman? I would say transposition. Well, you'll have to say more than that. Huh? Uh, I mean... That left me as cold as those stones where you were born with it. I mean, transposition of figures. That is, uh, writing $16,489.12 as $16,498.21. Transposing the figures in sequence. Well, I lost you a long time ago. You can say anything you want as far as I'm concerned. Once they get around those decimal points, I'm dead, huh? And, uh, Jersey Bounce, tell me, uh, where do, where do you work? I work the Roseland Roof, 833 South Spring Street. And, uh, what is Roseland Roof? It is the finest taxi dance hall in the United States. <laughs> I didn't know taxis could dance. <laughs> we have some two-legged taxis that dance very well, sir. Well, they do, huh? Yes, they do. Some night if you're off and you have a moment to spare... I'm like off every night, night huh? <laughs> Visitors. Well, I'd be very happy to, huh? They strap a meter on me, I suppose. We welcome you with open arms and see that you have a lot of fun. Well, I may take you up on that. You do that. We might possibly find you a nice little girl down there that you could marry if you're not married. <laughs> I told that to a man once before, and he said, I'm not married. I've been sick all my life. That's the reason I looked this way. Well, uh, I'm sorry you went so far with that invitation, huh? <laughs> the first half of it, you had me, huh? What, what do you do at the Roseland Roof, Mr. Graves? I'm the manager, the elevator operator, the policeman, uh, and uh, anything there is to be done around the place, I try to do it. You have a paper route in your spare time? I do. <laughs> how, how long a day do you work, Bill? I'm a union man. I work eight hours in the morning and eight hours at night. <laughs> you figure that joke out on your boss's time? Or... I trust you wouldn't waste your own time on that. No, not on that. Feeble wheeze, eh? Bookie, wake up. How much is two and two? Four. Just checking, that's all. Now tell me, Tacky Trot, uh, how, many... Uh, how many girls uh, work at your dance emporium? Between 75 and 100. Those are pretty loose figures to have on a dance floor. <laughs> Aren't you afraid they'll fall apart? Uh, not the figures we have. They're all pretty tight They're figures. They're all very right? nice. <laughs> you, you handle figures too, don't you, uh, Alan? Yes, sir. Not, the, not those kinds? No, not that type. Never? Mm. Off duty, I do. <laughs> the figures you handle don't lie, I take it. Huh? Oh, I wouldn't say that. You don't have to. I just said it. Huh? <laughs> what would you say? Well, I would say that my figures don't lie, but I couldn't vouch for other people's. 
It just goes, you can't tell a bookkeeper by his cover. Now, just what kind of a bookkeeper are you? I'm not a bookkeeper, Groucho. I'm an accountant. Well, what's the difference between a bookkeeper and an accountant? Well, an accountant is the, is the guy who tells the bookkeepers how to keep their books. Oh, I see. <laughs> what kind of bookkeeping systems are in use today? Oh, there are two systems, the uh, single entry and the double entry system. Well, give me an example. Well, the double entry system is the most common one. Uh, let's assume that you're in the jewelry business and you buy about $10,000 worth of diamonds. You would debit purchases for $10,000 and credit accounts payable for $10,000. That's the double entry system. Not me. If I had $10,000 in jewels, I'd be in Montreal in the morning. Eh? Now, Bookie, how much is three and two? Five. That's right. Just wanted to see if you were on your toes. You ever run across cases of simple fraud? Uh, yes. What's a good way to skin a widow out of her mite, for example? Well, you pad the figures on an expense account. Is Steady the... now, there. <laughs> That's with you. You pad the widow's figures? Well, how do you catch a crook like that? Oh, you just use your logic. For example, uh, if a guy submitted an expense account showing that he was in the Sahara Desert and uh, that he entertained some people at a nightclub there for 187.50. You is there a nightclub in the Sahara Desert? <laughs> Not that I know of. That's exactly. This the is one. just a hypothetical case. Yes. Sir. Well, couldn't you make it a nightclub where there happens to be a nightclub? <laughs> you mean this widow can only get cheated in the Sahara Desert? <laughs> she can choose her own sight. You mean it would take a lot of sand to skin her, huh? <laughs> now tell me, does anything exciting ever happen to an accountant? Well, uh, something exciting happened to me once. I got into an airplane uh, conducting five wooden packing cases that looked as if they might have contained cans of beans, and they actually had one million dollars in cold, hard American cash in them. And how did you find out? <laughs> I knew they were there all the time. And did you, did you have a gun with you? Yes, I did. I was in the Army as a dispersing officer, and I had a forty-five strapped to my side. Oh, I see. Have you ever had anything else strapped to your side? Some mustard plaster. Well, there's worse things than that to be stuck with, you know. Now tell me, Bouncer, in your job, does anything unusual ever happen? Oh, not a big deal. We run along about the same all the way through. What are your hostesses like? Are they all good dancers? They're all very nice dancers. All nice young ladies between 21 and 25 years of age and between 110 and 115 pounds. It's only five pounds uh, difference. That's all. <laughs> Pretty skinny, aren't they? <laughs> how, how tall are these girls, mostly? Uh, average about five feet six. Do you measure them yourself? Or... I measure most of them, yes, sir. <laughs> And if they're not up to specifications, you throw them back in the water? And... Back uh, down in the elevator. Have your girls always been taxi dancers, or did they have different backgrounds? Uh, a great many of them have been waitresses, and uh, a lot of them are girls that have been married and had trouble at home, and they have to get out and What kind of children? trouble? What do you mean, trouble at Domestic home? Domestic trouble. Who has trouble at home? Uh, one or two of them. 
They do, huh? Yeah. Well, what kind of trouble? Well, the... Husbands complain uh, about the cooking? About the cooking and about the baking and about uh, John not bringing home his salary and uh, John coming home with a load of peaches on that he shouldn't have and so forth and so forth and so forth. John shouldn't bring peaches home. No. <laughs> Should leave them on the corner and come home alone. Huh? How much do you charge for a dance at your uh, abattoir? Twelve cents a minute. How much? Twelve cents a minute. Twelve? How long does uh, the dance last? A minute? One minute, yes, sir. Why do they drag them out so long? <laughs> I guess you do the, the two-step there, or you get chucked out, don't you? That's all they have time for, isn't it? Oh, they have plenty of time. Suppose I was doing a rumber, and I just barely got my hip out of joint when the minute was up. <laughs> Would it cost me another 12 cents to get my hip back in shape again? No, we'd wait until you got it back, sir. We're very considerate. Well, how about the $4 I'd have to give to the chiropractor? I guess you'd have to worry about that in your case. I'd, I'd have to pay that myself. Yes, sir. Why are your dances only a minute long? Well, we can give the people more for the money and give them more dancing. That's a fairly shifty answer there. I'm a Scotchman. You get a faster turnover, is that it? Faster turnover, is it? Yes, sir. They must turn over like a propeller in your place. What are your customers like in this squirrel cage that you operate? We have lo- uh, merchants and doctors, lawyers, truck drivers, and... Uh, all people from all walks of life. Policemen, too, are Yeah, policemen and firemen. Ordinary people. Right? Ordinary people that you find just like you and me. <laughs> well, you won't find anybody more ordinary than I am. Although I've never been a policeman. Now, do these people pop in just to dance for one minute? Why do they come in? Uh, they come in because they're lonesome, and they come in probably for a minute out of curiosity, but uh, they stay the whole evening, and uh, back next night, the first moment we open the doors, they're back again. Well, do they usually pick out one specific girl and tie uh, Some have one girl, some have three or four girls they'll dance with in an evening, and uh, others, they dance with the whole number all the way down the line. Mm-hmm. And why do they... Uh... Some of them don't dance at all, I presume, huh? Some come in and uh, sit around night after night, and all they do is dance the free dancers. <laughs> what night are the free dancers? <laughs> what do they talk about, the ones that don't dance? Have oh, you any they talk about uh, general subjects, uh, not uh, what you think. How do you know what I'm thinking? <laughs> My guess is they'd be talking about the price of coffee or something yeah. interesting like that, huh? Do the, uh, any of these victims ever marry the girls? Frequently they do. We have had some very happy marriages. Very do happy. they come back after that and dance there? Uh, yes. They come in and visit with us and bring their husbands in, and one girl brought in six children one night. Stuff like this. Did you have to buy a ticket for each one? No, as long as old employees, we welcome them in. We're very glad to see them come back. Mm-hmm. Well, you're doing a nice job down there. How many fights do you have to stop in a night on an average? Uh, since I've been Rose Roseland for the last 20 years, we've never had a fight in the place. Well, what do they do, go out in the alley and slug each other? <laughs> I worked in a place one time where we had to close on Sundays to pump the blood out of the cellar. You don't happen to remember what they did with the old blood, do you? 
I think they painted the, uh, the ceiling of a theater with it. Oh, I see. <clears throat> well, uh, let's get back to you, Boogie. Quick, uh, what? how much is one and one? Two. <laughs> Sorry, the answer is 14. I was thinking of one and one rabbits. <laughs> Boogie, you're fired, huh? Well, you two make an extremely interesting couple, and uh, we're happy to have you with us tonight. You're both experts on figures. Now, in just one minute... You're going to try for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question. Just a week ago, the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America introduced the brilliant new DeSoto, the finest car that has ever borne the name DeSoto. It's a completely new model from bumper to bumper. From its beautiful new front grille to its wider rear end, here is the car that is styled for comfort as well as beauty. Every detail from DeSoto's rear window, which was made bigger and lower to provide greater visibility, to its smartly styled new steering wheel, from its bigger, softer pedal action brakes, to its beautiful new fenders that permit easier changing of tires, here truly is a new car in every sense of the word. A car bringing you richness of line that your family will boast of for many months to come. Economy of operation that your pocketbook will appreciate. Drive this great new DeSoto just once, and you'll thrill to it as thousands already have. Your DeSoto Plymouth dealer will arrange to have you drive it at your convenience. a bookkeeper and a bouncer will get the chance at $1,000. Benham and tell them the rules of your bet your life. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected famous dates in United States history as your category. Okay? That's right, right sir. All right. Here's your first question. You have $20. How much will you bet? Oh, three dollars. Oh. No, no, let's make it Here's a ten. Here's a Paul Levely racetrack, huh? Uh, he said make it ten. Make it ten. Is that okay make with you, Make it ten Bill? is fine. Okay, now, we don't want any arguments. Wait. What happened on October 12th, 1492? Columbus discovered America. You said it right on the nose, Bill. <laughs> and we're off to a great start, Groucher, with thirty dollars. Remember, you're going for a thousand dollars tonight. How much of the thirty dollars will you bet? Twenty. Not twenty dollars, no. Uh, I have to buy my wife a pair of shoes. Uh, make it fifteen. Make it twenty dollars, and all right. That's right. Well, you're easily convinced there. Uh, yes. What happened on December the seventh, for nineteen forty-one? That's a Pearl Harbor. Uh... That's right. Japanese attack Pearl Harbor. They're climbing. They have fifty dollars. You're climbing. You got fifty smackers. Here's your third question. How much of the fifty are you going to go for? Forty. Uh, well, we take, uh, this time we'll plunge a little. <coughs> we bet $35. Cool. You're going to bet $35. Okay, all right. What happened? What happened September 2nd, 1945? 1945? Huh? Was it VJ Day? VJ Day. Do you agree with that? Yes, agree I do. With that? Well, that's right. Now we have $85, Groucho. Well, your wife has got shoes now. She might even have stockings out of this. Now you got eighty-five dollars. Is your last chance to beat the other couples? How much of the eighty-five will you risk? Let's try seventy-five. Seventy-five dollars. Seventy-five dollars. 
What far-reaching event happened on October 24th, 1929? The, uh, crash. The crash is right. And they wind up with a grand total of $160. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, don't run away. You still might be high tonight and get a crack at the big question. Groucho, the secret word is still spoon. I know that, George. Perhaps our next couple will say it, too. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a chiropodist, Dr. Theodore Dale, and his partner is a housewife, Mrs. Sue Prosen. And here they are, folks. Meet Groucho Marx. I can't meet him until they come out. Huh? <laughs> All right, welcome, kids. Uh, welcome to You Bet Your Life. And if one of you says the secret word, he wins $100 instantly. It's a common word, something you find around the house. A uh, chiropodist and a housewife, eh? Uh, Mrs. Sue uh, Proson? Yes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Where are you from, Sue? Boston. Boston? Mm-hmm. What is your, uh, what part of Boston? I don't know. I left when I was too young. How old were you when you left? About a year old. How long ago was that? Thirty years ago. <laughs> You must be around 30 years old. Huh? Only till tomorrow. Tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. And what is your... You are, you're married? Yes. What does your husband do for a living? Building contractor. Building? What What does he build? Houses. What stores. kind of houses? Good ones. Good ones? I mean, big ones? Little ones? Anything they can afford. Anything he can afford? Huh? If they can afford. Oh, see. Where, where is this? Where is he building? All over Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And, uh, Doc, uh... Doc, uh... Dale, is that the way? That's correct. What kind of a name is that? Is that Swiss? Uh, well, it's leftover Piccadilly. <laughs> I had some leftover Piccadilly tonight. <laughs> that isn't my name. What do you mean, leftover Piccadilly? It's well, English? Way back, the family's name was Piccadilly, and this was left of it. Well, I don't see how you got that reduced to Well, that. I don't see it either. No. Well, you can't because it's in front of you, but I can't. <laughs> where, where are you from, Doc? Redonda Beach, California. Uh-huh. You ever get hit by one of those comas down there? Oh, no. Are you, are you married? Oh, yes. You get hit by other things. <laughs> what, what is a chiropodist? Is that anything like a Rotarian? No. A chiropodist is a doctor who treats the feet, ankles, and the calf. Well, how do you treat a calf? Do you buy him a... Ba- <laughs> I mean, do you buy him a bale of hay or... A... Oh, no. Among other things, we massage. You massage a calf? Uh-huh. Must be a great treat for the calf. <laughs> You're a, you're a foot doctor, eh? That's right. Uh, how long is a foot doctor? Oh, about 12 inches sometimes. <laughs> this is uh, Prosen. Uh, how, do, how did you meet your husband? Mother wanted to borrow a hammer. You met him where? My mother wanted to borrow a hammer. Your mother went to borrow a hammer? Uh-huh. Yes. And she borrowed it from a friend, and uh, he had a son, only I didn't know he had a son. Who had a son? The hammer? No, 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 it's very simple, really. The friend had a hammer. I mean, the friend had a hammer, and he had a son also. Was it a claw hammer, or... Oh, gee, I don't know. Is there a difference? Of course, there's all kinds of hammers. Oh. Now, uh, what happened? Uh, your mother needed a hammer, and she yeah. sent you over to get the hammer? No, she called up her friend and said, please... Loan me a hammer and... And that's how you nailed him? Uh... <laughs> he came over and brought the hammer, and I wanted to get a dog. And when like I... That? I wanted to get a dog, and when Instead I started... Instead of a hammer, you mean? Well, she wanted the hammer. I didn't. Oh. 
But when I saw this guy drive up, and he didn't have a very nice car, and I thought, well, I could ask him to take me to the dog because my boyfriend had a new car, and I couldn't ask him to take me to the dog. Why? Because he wouldn't let a puppy in his car at my quest. So I, I asked this fellow if he'd take me to get to the puppy, and he did. And on the way home, he said, if you married me, you could have me and the dog. And I said, well, for the dog's sake, I'd think about it. Well, when we got home, the landlady met us at the apartment, and she said, you can't have a dog here. Just a hammer, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, very simple, really. He took the dog home with him. And then the next day, I saw him quite accidentally. I was on my way to school. And he on your way to school? Yeah, I was going to school then. Oh. And uh, he asked me if I, what I was taking. I told him I was studying economics. And he said, well, can you figure out budgets? And I said, oh, sure. He said, well, can you figure a budget for me? Sure, I could figure a budget. So I did. He said, could two people live on that? So I could figure it again so they could. Pretty cagey level, wasn't he, huh? <laughs> Very clever. It's a very romantic approach. You know? <laughs> He's kind of cute, though. And then when did he, when did he say he loved you? Huh? Well, then... This was I'm... after you settled the budget? Then? Well, a little bit after that, yes. Mm-hmm. He said, well, can two live on that budget? And I said, yes. He said, well, then why don't we? So I said, you kidding? He says, I don't think so. And I said, well, okay. But it took the family two months to arrange the wedding. You were pretty impatient, huh? Yes. <laughs> Had no place to put the dog, I suppose. But we didn't get the dog. It'd get lost. Tell me, I want to ask you one question. What happened to this first meal that you were going with? So one of this brand new car that they wouldn't let any livestock in it. What happened to him? Huh? He still got the car. Huh? He still got the car. He still got the car, and that's yeah. all, huh? And you've got a hammer and a dog and a husband. And... No dog. No just dog. a cat. Now you got a cat? <laughs> a very lovely one. Kids, too? Yes, two of them. And only one cat, huh? <laughs> you ought to try to get another cat, huh? <laughs> Either that or do away with one of the kids, huh? Because one cat is not enough to go around for two children. Oh, yes, they can eat a The big cat? Well, it's a very romantic story you're talking about. <laughs> Doc, how did you meet your wife? Did you have a hammer in your hand at the time? Oh, no, but I had a... Uh... Was she going around with some foot pad and you rubbed her out? <laughs> what happened? Well, she... I was... Uh, as a student, I I'll was... I'll call you Pick-a-Lily, huh? Pick-a-Dilly. Pick-a-Dilly, huh? Uh, I picked a dilly one night. <laughs> One of the worst times I've ever had in my life. Well, anyway. I was a student. And, uh, you were a student where? A student. A student? At the foot clinics of New York, and my wife was a patient. And uh, she was kind of cute at the time. And, uh, and uh, he'll, he'll appreciate the way you qualified that compliment. He'd just be crazy about that. Well, she had... Uh, uh, she looked kind of nice, and I... Uh, she's playing basketball the next day and asked if she cared to come along, and of course she assented. She well, was in the hospital? No. <laughs> this was a this was a clinic. Where people come in and walk out. Oh. And uh, they hope. <laughs> well, I uh, I suggested that uh, being that she had so much trouble with her feet, she has been having trouble with a toe for several years. 
And I suggested... Uh, Did you write her any footnotes? Or no. No. And out of that time... Well, I, uh, up to this time, you'd just seen her feet, is that right? That's right. <laughs> you took potluck with the rest of it, I suppose. <laughs> You two have two of the most romantic stories I've ever heard. <laughs> a pussycat in an old car and a, and a foot doctor. Go on. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Well, right. I suggested casually and quite seriously that uh, it might be easier for her and financially uh, a lot easier if she'd marry a chiropodist. Well, I'd, I, I saw her a couple of times, and then about a year later I met her again casually. And uh, Was she back at the clinic? Or... No, no. She's on a... I was on a Fifth Avenue bus, and she was walking by the Empire. No, it was just on a block from where the Empire State Building is. I got off the bus and said hello, and... Were you and going to get off there anyhow, or are you just uh, no, crazed with uh, this... Uh... Desire to look at her toe again. You were just toe happy in those days. Quite Instead sad. of toe happy, you were toe happy. Well, anyway... Well, we went out from there, and I... Uh, what do you mean you went out from there? Well, seeing each other, the suggestion that I made that she married Caropodus carried on until this day. How long have you been married? Uh, thirteen and a half years. Worked out very well, huh? Well, sure did. Maybe that's the way it should be. Most fellas, they go around looking at a girl's face, you know. <laughs> Maybe should they examine their feet, because they're... In most cases, their feet are not made up. You know what you're getting, anyway. <laughs> Tell me, Hotfoot, how did you, uh... How did you happen to become a chiropodist? Were you at the foot of your class in school, or...? Well, uh... Well, I started the foot and thought that this profession of mine worked work my way up. You were eventually going to become a dentist? Is that... <laughs> become successful. Oh, I see. I don't hear very well, you know. Sometimes I get confused. Well, what kind of feet do you treat? Uh, Any kind. Any kind of feet? I wish you'd come over to my house. My piano is getting pigeon-toed. <laughs> well, what's the chief reason that people come to your office? Their feet hurt. Well, you ask a silly question, you get a silly answer. <laughs> you mean people have trouble with their dogs, is that it? That's right. And you take care of their dogs? I sure do. Well, then, actually, you're a veterinarian, huh? <laughs> no, I'm a chiropodist. What's the matter, dog? Didn't you like that joke? Oh, I thought, well, it's corny. What was that? Corny. Corny, corny joke. <laughs> well, you ought to know. You're an expert on corns. <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Proson, you pussycat lover, you. Uh, do you have any trouble with your dogs? No dogs. Cat. I knew if I talked to a chiropodist sooner or later, I'd put my foot in it. I mean, do your, do your feet give you any trouble? Well, they did when I was little. They had to lengthen them. My legs, not my feet. They lengthen your legs? Uh-huh. Yes, really. Uh, what, what was the matter? The tendons didn't grow, so they had to lengthen them so that I would get a little taller. Well, how did they know how tall you were going to be? Huh? They were hoping. They were groping, did you say? I think so. Do you have any uh, corns or bunions or uh, any kind of uh, 
foot swelling or any kind? No. Not, nothing at all. Now, what about you, Arch of Triumph? That's you. Uh... What, uh, what should she do for her feet? Suppose she had some trouble with her feet. This is purely a hypothetical question, of course, because the girl's feet are obviously perfect. Well, I can't tell unless I examine them, but uh, she might rest them. Can you walk in your hands, Mrs. Crow? <laughs> well, what, what do you think is the chief source of her trouble if she had, uh, let's say she had arts trouble or something? Well, I wouldn't know, but the average woman wears her shoes too short. Well, don't they have holes in the front that poke their toes through? <laughs> Doesn't that help, huh? Why do women wear shoes that don't fit? Well, I think the vanity gets the best of them. You mean the smart, and, woman's, uh, smart woman's brains are in her feet, huh? Yeah, and they wearing the high heels, they go out of plumb, the posture. Goes right. out of plumb. What do you mean, out of plumb? Well, uh, normal posture to be, uh, uh, to be well, considered well. Uh, we well, do you put the calf to posture, I mean, if there's some trouble... <laughs> There's trouble with the calf. Well, that would be part of being out of plumb. I see. In other words, they go plumb crazy. Is that right? <laughs> I went plumb crazy last summer one day. I ate 27 plums. <laughs> what are the most common uh, foot ailments? Well, the most common we'd see would be uh, Helome Male, Helome Durham, and Halitzvalis. Helome Male, yeah. <laughs> hello, my Male. Hello, my daddy. Why, Joseph Howard sang that, and I wonder who's kissing her now, huh? You mean that's a foot disease? Molly, huh? Well, they're laying something every night here, huh? Why do so many people have foot trouble? Well, uh, so many people have foot trouble because uh, uh, a lot of it's traced back to childhood. Now in schools, and uh, they'll examine everything about a child but the feet. And very uh, few parents will take the trouble to take their children to to uh, have their feet examined, and you find that 60% of children have foot trouble. Is Under this just a plug for your racket, or are you actually on the square with this? Huh? Yes, I'm on the square with it. You look like a fairly obvious, honest man. Do you get many jobs straightening out bow legs? Oh, rarely. Rarely. That could be fun, though. Huh? It might. <laughs> well, as far as you're concerned, bow legs are few and far between, huh? <laughs> Let's talk about men for a, minute, for a moment. They uh, they don't wear high heels and they have foot troubles. Uh, how come? Well, if they wore shoes that were big enough, like policemen do. That's all they need, just wearing big enough. Huh? I wore policemen's shoes; they pinch my feet. <laughs> what does "hola malaya" mean, or whatever? Well, what you call it? Huh? Hello, my Molly. That's something. Hello, my Molly. <laughs> Right back where I started from. Isn't that an, an island in the Pacific? I mean? No, it's a small, soft corn between the toes. How oh, gross. <laughs> How long did you say you've been a veterinarian? Uh? Well, not a veterinarian. I'm a carapodist. This is my 20th year at it. Can you tell anything uh, about a person just by looking at his feet? He hardly. Can't you even tell if he's got a bunion? <laughs> I saw his, 
Do you ever run into any unusual situations, Doc? Well, the other day, a woman came in with one shoe, only took one shoe and stocking off, and I suggested she take the other one. She said, my gosh, I didn't think you want to look at the other one. I only washed one. <laughs> And you say you've been at this for 20 years? <laughs> what fortitude, huh? <laughs> I've often wondered, is, is walking barefoot beneficial to the uh, person the feet? Well, if everybody walked barefoot, and most of the time, half the foot troubles would disappear. So would half the shoe stores. <laughs> <laughs> this time, you can see enough heels without exposing the feet. <laughs> Why is going barefoot beneficial, Doc? Well, it gives an opportunity for all the structures of feet to be to uh, work without constriction, restriction, and being bound up. What about people that have bad arches? Should they walk around in bare feet, too? Does that well, strengthen? that would help in a proper attitude. They'd go to their foot doctor, and he can advise them as to do. Oh, now you're, now you're kind of quibbling, aren't you? <laughs> Indians have flat feet, don't they? And they walk around in their bare feet. Not they? all of them. Certain tribes do. Say certain tribes? What kind? Which tribes? You know? Well, I haven't. I haven't done research on that sufficiently. Well, besides wearing shoes that don't fit, why do most people have uh, foot trouble? Because of childhood? Uh, neglect? Uh, well... Are people on their feet more nowadays than they formerly were? Well, they still a lot of people wear improper shoes and don't uh, set right. What about the body? Do you consider it a good piece of construction uh, from well, an engineering uh, standpoint? Well, the body is... Uh, really, the human body was originally planned according to the position of the... Uh, structure the bones and the arch structure the feet and the way the pelvis are built the human body's really been constructed to wa walk on not on two feet on possibly four or we look great all walking around <laughs> on our hands and knees all day imagine crossing the street and against the traffic and your hands and knees. <laughs> people he wants people to walk on four legs i suspected you were a veterinarian suppose <laughs> if i had a broken leg you'd want to shoot me huh? <laughs> Now, come clean, Doc, confess. Just what, what business are you in? <laughs> Still a crap at it. Now, uh, actually, animals have little or no foot trouble. Isn't that true? Well, very few do. What, which animals? Well, uh, well uh, very few animals. Only the hard-hoofed animals like horses might have foot trouble. Are they Red. the only ones with hard hoofs? Horses? No, there are some others. Some... Jackass, I suppose. Mule train. <laughs> By the way, Doc, my wife's foot uh, hurt quite a bit this morning. Could you suggest anything that might help? Well, if you tell me where it hurts. Well, it hurts in the seat of my pants. That's where it should be. <laughs> I tricked you into that one. Well, you made a very interesting and instructive team, and we enjoyed having you here. Now, you're going to have a chance to make money hand over foot, Doc. You're going to play your bet your life. All you got to do is run your $20 and the more than the other couples, and you get a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question later on. Fenneman's offstage to remind our listeners how much the first couple won. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you 20 bucks. You selected bowl games. Uh, bowl games. B-O-W-L. That's not the southern pronunciation. I don't want, it's not ball games. Is that clear as your category? Bowl games? Is that uh, all right? Is that all right? Okay. Now you got $20. How much are you going to try? Ten. Talk right up into the microphone. Because over 300 people are listening here. <laughs> All right. In what city is the Sugar Bowl game played? Sugar Bowl, New Orleans. In New Orleans is right. <laughs> and we're on the way with $30, Groucho. See how easy it is? Now you got $30. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. Now, how much of the $30 are you going to risk? Talk right 20. into those microphones. 20 
Twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. You've discussed this uh, together? Mm-hmm. Where is the Orange Bowl game played? Miami, Florida. Miami is right. And now they have fifty dollars. Now you got fifty. Here's your third question. How much of the fifty are you going to try? Thirty. Thirty dollars. In what city is the Shrine East-West game played? San Francisco. San Francisco is on the nose. Climbing now, they have $80. All right, you're steaming right ahead now. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 80 are you going to risk? Talk up, talk right up, into the microphone. She wants to bet 60. She wants to bet 60, and how much do you want to bet? I'd rather bet the whole lady. You would, huh? Okay, it's You want to go whole hog? It's his brain. I don't want to influence you now. No. Okay, you're going for $80. This is your last chance to beat the other couples. In what island city is the Pineapple Bowl play? In uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. Honolulu is right. And they wind up with $160. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, pretty soon, we're going to know who's going to end the chance at the $1,000 question. George, who's ahead so far? Well, nobody's ahead so far. Nobody's ahead so far. What kind of an answer is that? Both the first couples have $160. You mean they're neck and neck? They're neck and neck. Well, let's hope they don't do any neck and neck in here, huh? <laughs> and let's not forget that the DeSoto Plymouth secret word is still spoon. Say, Groucho, we have a surprise for you. Our uh-huh. final couple is an Irish war bride and her husband. And here they are, Mr. and Mrs. Wysowski meet Groucho Marx. Welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers, youngsters. And if you say the secret word, you win $100 in cash instantly. Ice water in 32, huh? <laughs> Used to be a Swiss bell ringer, this fellow. Welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers, youngsters. And if you say the secret word, you win $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Of course. Mrs. Uh, Wysowski, uh, you're an Irish bride? Yes. Wysowski, you're one of the Notre Dame Irish. Faith and Begar and Barry Fitzgerald. Uh, sure, and it's a fine thing to be after having you here with us here tonight. Huh? How's my bro? Oh, they don't talk that way where I come from. <laughs> They also don't talk that way where I come from. <laughs> You're from Ireland? They don't talk like that? Uh, where do they talk like that? Well, I don't think they talk that way anywhere. Well, I must admit, my brogue's a little rusty. <laughs> Last night I had an Irish stew and somebody dropped a hot tamale in it. <laughs> Joe, uh, Joe Wysowski, huh? That's right. Um, what sort of work do you do, Joe? I'm a mechanic with Lockheed Aircraft. Lockheed Aircraft? What do you work on? Constellations. I mean, what part of the... Well, air structures. The structure part of the aircraft. Any good? Oh, it's the most nice airplane in the world. What part of island are you from, Joe? Kiwani. Kiwani, Illinois? That's correct. <laughs> Is that near the Kalani Lakes, or uh, it's near the Great Lakes, isn't it? Yes, yeah, near Lake Michigan, not about 135 miles. Not near Dublin, though. No, no, I'm afraid not. And what part of Ireland are you from, uh, Phyllis? 
Belfast, yes. You're from where? Belfast. Belfast. What's your hometown like? Oh, it's not too big and it's not too small. And as far as camera, I would take you out of the time. Take you where? Take you out of the time. Take you out of the town? Yes. Is that what you're after? (laughs) How big is the population of uh, Belfast? About the size of Peoria, I suppose. You measure everything by Peoria? (laughs) I once worked for a brewery that had a place in Peoria. One of the more unpleasant parts of my life that I don't care to discuss here. (laughs) I was fired shortly after they saw me in the brewery. Are you working, Phyllis? Yes. Where where do you work? I work at um, Adel Precision Products Corporation. Is that uh, part of the uh, parts for the airplane? Yes. Hydraulic valves, they make. Hydraulic, that's very romantic. (laughs) How long have you been working there? Oh, about two years. Well, before you married uh, Uncle Sam here, what sort of work did you do in Belfast? I was a stenographer for Lockheed. (laughs) How long since you've been in Belfast? About five years. You have no discernible uh, rogue at all, do you? Well, we don't talk the same way as they do in the side. In the south of Ireland? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you still as crazy about the south of Ireland as they always were over there? In the north and south? Well, yes. <laughs> they like each other now? Right? Well, yes, yeah, uh-huh. No hoedowns there or anything? <laughs> Slug each other with shillelaghs? <laughs> Do you have any little Irish males at home? Uh, no, I haven't. Have you? <laughs> How long have you been an Irish war bride, Phyllis? Well, we were married uh, the day after St. Patrick's Day in 1945. Did you pick that day out particularly, or was it just a coincidence? Well, I wanted to be married on St. Patrick's Day, but that was on a Saturday, so I'm superstitious about that. So we made it Sunday. You wouldn't have considered young Kipper, huh? <laughs> Joe, Joe, me lad, uh, how long have you been married? I got married when Phyllis and... <laughs> what were you doing in Ireland, then? Well, I was an aircraft mechanic for Lockheed. In Ireland? Yes. They had a factory over there? No, we had a reassembly division there. Well, Mavorny, give me all the details. How did, exactly did you meet uh, Joe? Well, uh, I was walking across the hangar, and I suppose he saw me giving an introduction. So, uh, however, I didn't go out with him right away. I he kept did. him waiting about a week. <laughs> Where did he wait? In the hangar all the time? <laughs> you kept him hanging... Uh, Fire, is that it? Uh, well, I tried. <laughs> and then what? What happened? Well, uh, finally my boss said, well, you better go out with this fellow because he's holding up the line here. I can't get any business done. <laughs> that true, Joe? That's right. You couldn't uh, get your mind back on these assembly jobs, huh? No, I'm afraid not. This was the job you were interested in. <laughs> were you married in Ireland or in America? I was married in the United States. Why? Why did you pick a... Well, uh, going together in Ireland. 
Now, Lockheed's contract with the United States government terminated, and we returned to the United States, and then I sent for Phyllis. And, uh, Phyllis, did you encounter any red tape when you entered the United States? Uh, no. No, I just had to have the usual, uh, paperwork that Joe could support me and wanted me to come here and that he would marry me when I got here. Were you, were you nervous? I mean, uh... Oh, I was nervous when I was coming here. I mean, about whether the, he was going to support you or not? <laughs> you knew he well, was going to marry you, sure. but you weren't sure whether he was going to support you, is that it? That's right. <clears throat> when you were courting Phyllis over in Ireland, uh, where, did, where did you take her, Joe? Well, we went for an occasional walk in the show once in a while. Well, now that you're an old married couple, where do you take her now for excitement? That's the look that won her, huh? <laughs> that was a real Barry Fitzgerald look, wasn't it? <laughs> Where do you take it now that you're married, Joe? Don't sneak out of this. I want an answer. Well, we still go for the occasional walk in the show once in a while. Say, <laughs> so you, you're in a rut, aren't you? <laughs> aren't you aware of the fact that the war is over? Have you ever kissed the Blonnie Stone, Phyllis? No, that's in the side. That's in the south. How do you say that? Let me hear you say South. South. <laughs> well, since you never kissed the Blonnie Stone, would you tell me how old you are? Twenty-seven. Are you sure you haven't kissed the Blonnie Stone? <laughs> how old are you, Joe? I'm thirty-five. Phyllis, how old do you think I am? And uh, no flattery, now. Oh, I'd say about forty. <laughs> Are you sure there's no Blarney Stone in the north of Ireland? <laughs> if you were a pinball machine right now, you'd light up and say tilt. <laughs> Joe, you, you look uh, a little more practical. How old do you think I am? Oh, I'd say you're going on 50. Well, I'm going on penicillin. Then. <laughs> I grow my own, too. I scrape it off old moldy jokes. <laughs> Well, you each made a pretty close guess. Forty and fifty, that's ninety. That's about right. <laughs> Joe, has anything embarrassing ever happened to you? No, not that I can say. Uh-huh. Well, Phyllis, as a war bride, what's been the most unusual experience you've had? Well, I have been asked if the pigs sleep under the bed in Ireland. The pigs sleep where? In the beds? Under the bed. Under the bed? Under the bed in Ireland. What do you mean? You tie them on the back? <laughs> under. Oh, under the bed, huh? Yes. Do any pigs sleep under the bed in Ireland? Yes. They do. Yes, they're pets. They sleep in the bed. We sleep under the bed. Oh. Well, they just go whole hog over there. <laughs> no pig ever slept under my bed. <laughs> I don't even allow them in the house. Huh? How does the life of a housewife here compare with that of a housewife in Ireland? Oh, it's much easier here. In what have, way? Well, you have uh, your auto, automatic washing machine and your toasters and coffee makers. And at home, you have to do all that by hand. And that... the pig besides. <laughs> do you have any particular dislikes about uh, this country? Uh, you can oh. speak frankly. Nobody's listening. <laughs> no, I think it's wonderful. 
Nothing, everything satisfies you? Yes. Yeah. Nice to hear that. Do you like our cozy little supermarkets? Yes. Their prices are a little bit high, though. But you don't dislike anything over here, huh? How do you like our modern homes? Cute little rooms and great big mortgages. Well, the price that you pay for an apartment here, you get a castle in Ireland for it. But you don't dislike anything. <laughs> How about you, Joe? Do you agree with her uh, complaints? Yes, I do. Well, let's see what you know about prices. Coffee, for example, has gone up. How much do you pay for coffee, Joe? Well, we used to be able to get a cup of coffee for a nickel, but now it costs a dime. you got a pretty good business there, Phyllis. How much are you charging for the second cup? <laughs> Now, before you met uh, Joe here, how many nice Irish bucks were you engaged to, Phyllis? None. Why not an attractive Carleen like you? I was too young. How old were you when you met, uh, when you met uh, Joe? Oh, by 24. Well, you aged overnight then, huh? Island, the girls don't get engaged, I suppose, until they're around 23, 24. That's right. And how, how long do the engagements usually last? Oh, about three or four years. Takes four years for a boy and girl to get acquainted in Ireland? It's obvious they don't have drive-in theaters over there. <laughs> over here, they have ten-minute intermissions at the drive-in so the kids can get married. Well, this has been inspiring having you here tonight. Aaron Gobry, as we sell so we say. Now, you're going to play the DeSoto Plymouth game. You bet your life. If you beat our other two couples, you'll get a crack at the $1,000 question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is off stage to remind our listeners. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected capitals of states as your category. Is that correct? That's right. All right. You've got $20. How much are you going to try? How much are you going to bet? Ten. Ten dollars. What is the capital city of Colorado? Denver. Denver is correct. And they're on their way with $30, Groucho. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. How much of the 30 are you going to try? Talk right up, Joe. 25 You're out of that hanger now. Talk right up. 20 $20. Okay. What is the capital city of Nebraska? Lincoln. Lincoln is correct. They're climbing. They have $50. All right, you got $50. Here's your third question. How much of the 50 are you going to risk? Forty dollars. What is the capital city of Virginia? Richmond. Richmond is right. They're really on their way now. They have ninety dollars. Well, you're zooming along. You got ninety dollars. How much are you going to try? We'll try eighty. You're going to try eighty dollars. Okay. What is the capital city of New York? Albany. Albany is right. And they wind up with one hundred and seventy dollars. And that means that the Irish couple get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth thousand dollar question. It's new. It's beautifully new. It's packed with value and ready to prove it. Yes, that's the beautiful new Plymouth. Now, more than ever, the car that likes to be compared. Drive it. Give it the toughest test you can think of, uphill and through traffic. Let your DeSoto Plymouth dealer arrange a demonstration ride tomorrow. Then compare. Compare the value of this beautifully new Plymouth 
with that in other leading low-priced cars. Check the convenience of Plymouth's ignition key starting, the lively power of a high-compression engine, the soft velvet stops of Safeguard hydraulic brakes, the protection of safety rim wheels, and many other exclusive Plymouth features. Yes, check and compare. For beauty, for room, for riding comfort. Now, more than ever, the new Plymouth is the car that likes to be compared. The car that's packed with value and ready to prove it. This beautiful new Plymouth, the American beauty, is on display at all authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealers. And here's the Irish war bride and her husband, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question, Groucho. All right, here we go for $1,000. Ready? I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on one single answer between you, so think carefully and please, no help from the audience. Here it is. The Star Spangled Banner was written in 1814 and became our official national anthem in 1931. Before the Star Spangled Banner was written, what song was considered the national anthem of the United States? Okay, what's the answer you two have decided upon? Fred, I can't answer. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The correct answer is Hail Columbia. So that means the big question next week will be worth $1,500. Well, you lost the big money, but you won $170 in the quiz. Plus $100 for saying the secret word, no? Congratulations and thanks to both of you. is a John Goodell production, transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You'll Bet Your Life. Presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week's big question will be worth $1,500. Well, it's time for Bing Crosby, so good night, folks, and remember, just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Here's a tip from the National Safety Council. It's good to be on time, but it's better to be safe. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast.